I remember also praying my own prayer, which was, you know, God, if you can hear me, if you can hear me, I am so sorry for wasting everything. And I'm so sorry for the things that I've done. I just want a life that's worth something. And if that means following you, then I'm in it. I'm in. And I felt something move inside me for the first time because I'm, I'm so emotionally numb at times. And, and I know that was the Holy Spirit melting my heart. And I, I broke down, which is very un-Scottish. You know, I, 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 I cried, but I, I essentially went from a man who thought he was the center of the universe, which is the nature of addiction, to suddenly looking out at something I didn't understand, but I knew I wasn't alone. Fundamentally, I wasn't alone. And that was the start of my journey with Jesus. The Profile. You're listening to Premier Christian Radio. You're listening to Premier Christian Radio. I'm Sam Hales, editor of Premier Christianity magazine, and you've joined us for The Profile. This is the show where we delve into a person's life, faith and testimony. I'm delighted to say that my guest on the show today is the Scottish songwriter and worship leader, Steph McLeod. After a family breakdown leading him to find comfort in drugs, Steph ended up living rough on the streets of Edinburgh. Then in 2006, he found himself in the Bethany Christian Centre, a hostel for people dealing with his kind of circumstances. And it was during his eight-month stay there that Steph found both a living faith in Christ and healing through writing music. Now signed to Integrity Music, Steph has been praised for creating a unique sonic experience by mixing underlying folk tones with traditional and contemporary worship infused with Celtic melodies. Steph, welcome to the show. Hello there. How's it going? I'm very good, thank you. It's wonderful to have you on. Uh, we always like to start here on the profile by hearing about a person's early life. So tell me a little bit about the family background. I understand you were um, an only child, so tell me a little bit about family and life growing up from an early age. Yeah, that's true. Uh, only child and uh, mum and dad, lovely people, worked every hour that God gave them. Uh, my dad's a civil servant. My mum was a, a nurse at the sick kids for in the A&E department for, I think, nearly 25 years. And um, yeah, I, I was very comfortable growing up. I did spend quite a bit of time on my own, I didn't have many siblings to bounce off. I had one cousin that I'm close to, uh, but I, I mean, we have a lot of cousins, but there, there was one, my cousin Sarah, that I bounced off of. Spent a lot of time at my grandparents. And for whatever reason, I just was quite anxious as a kid, but I didn't understand that until quite recently. I always seemed to be seeking approval. I think I was quite high maintenance as well, but when I discovered music as a, as a youngster, the, that seemed to to give me uh, a real sense of focus. Eventually went to music school, uh, which I was invited to audition for in Edinburgh um, successfully. And uh, it meant that I got taught by some of the very best. I was classically trained in classical guitar and also piano and got into jazz. And uh, it was it was pretty cool. Um, yeah, that was that was growing up for me. It was it was a uh, Nothing super exciting. There was nothing um, severely depressing, I suppose. But um, just that sense of constantly seeking approval from my peers and my parents and stuff like that, um, probably unnecessarily. But I just felt like there was always something missing, you know. Do you remember the first time you, you sort of discovered music? Was there a particular band or artist or song you heard on the radio that, that you have very vivid memories of? 
Yeah, my mum talks about this. So, like she said, when I was a kid, that I used to be able to memorize Top of the Pops quite the the, the charts really, really well. I think I had a thing for memorizing melodies. Um, they got me a small Casio keyboard. I think that was the second instrument I had. They they, they bought me this little drum kit, which seemed to I've got memories of it just disappearing one day. Um, but uh, they did get me this little Casio keyboard with headphones, and because um, I was just on these things all the time, and I used to sit in front of the TV and I would mimic the the TV theme tunes, and it was the Hovis advert, uh, Dvorak's uh, New World Symphony that was that was uh, the, the the Hovis advert that everybody can remember it as, and and I just used to learn it by ear. And uh, and it just kind of went from there. But I used to listen, I used to listen to some crazy stuff as a kid, much to my dad's dismay. I was quite into Bros, and uh, uh, he was into things like um, uh, Cream and and Led Zeppelin and stuff like that, which also played an influence. But uh, that was probably my earliest memory. And do you remember what sort of spiritual background, if any, um, that that you were instilled with as a youngster? Do you remember faith or God ever sort of coming up uh, in conversations with your parents? Not really. I mean, my mum took me to the odd Sunday school service. I think that's just, uh, you know, parents doing things with their kids on at the weekend. That was a, a thing. I do remember sitting on hard wooden floors and singing songs about Jesus in the assembly at, at, at primary school. But my grandmother, my family's from the Isle of Lewis, and uh, she used to take me to church on a Wednesday evening and a Sunday, which was all in Gaelic as well. And if I really behaved, they would sing the last song in english which was always really nice and uh so so you know my gran had a deep faith um the islands is uh you know a, a rich uh, christian community up there uh, so I, I do have fond memories of that and uh but that was that that was about it really you mentioned you went to study music at quite a high level you say classically trained do you remember as, as a youngster ever ever feeling like it would be possible for you to to kind of make a career in music i don't think so and that's purely through ignorance and i i i think i had um I'd, all i did all i knew was that i wanted something to do with music my whole life it was like my my thing you know and i loved it but i, I think other than my great uncle who was quite a famous bagpiper uh, i didn't really know him that well there wasn't anybody that was particularly musical in my family my my uncle andrew's uh, really good at singing uh, some old crooners on the on the karaoke like but he's uh, but that that's about as far as it went but um i i just knew that i wanted to do music because without it stuff didn't make sense you know it was my way of of I, again i didn't really understand it at the time but expressing myself emotionally i didn't really grow up on a uh, an, an openly um, emotionally um, expressive environment. I think that's a cultural thing. You know, it's very British uh, and Scottish. Um, but you know, if you were if you were quite high maintenance, you were told to be quiet, or if you were making a bit of a hoo ha, you were kind of told to go to your room. You know, um, but that's that that was very much a cultural thing. So music for me was was a way to just engage emotionally. Uh, but again, I didn't really understand that until. Uh, quite recently in sure. terms of making a career out of it I, I didn't really see the end game you know what I mean I didn't know if I wanted to teach music I think I might have wanted to do that because I was inspired by my own teachers but in terms of being a professional musician um, I didn't sing until I was in my mid-20s uh, it was just purely guitar playing but I, I, I just didn't really understand what it meant I just kind of went with the day-to-day -day basis of practicing and learning and uh 
developing um, my, my, my craft, as it were, with no idea of what, what I was getting myself into, if I'm being honest. You studied at uh, college, and what came next? Well, I, I think I was alcoholic by the time I was 17, you know. My, my parents separated when I was 15, and, you know, that for, for my whole world just crumbled, you know. If, with everything else that was happening in my life, you know, school wasn't particularly pleasant. There was a bit of bullying, but when my parents separated, um, I mean, nobody really spoke about it. You know, I, I can't, I can't remember anybody saying, "How are you doing? How are you feeling? Let's talk about how you're feeling." You know, and um, you just kind of got on with things. It was kind of like pull your socks up and you know just stick in sun and you know and, and 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 I had all these feelings and emotions and I didn't know how to process it. So. I blew off steam as most teenagers do because being a teenager is intense, man, you know. So I, I, I went to a few parties and got drunk and um, smoked a bit of cannabis. And unfortunately, when I was 15, I was in the wrong place at the wrong time and I got um, I got attacked and nearly lost my life. And, and my anxiety levels just went through the roof and I started drinking on a daily basis because I thought that was the only way to help me get rid of this massive amount of stress. And by the time I was 17, I was alcoholic. So music college for me was pretty much a disaster, you know. And I didn't become alcoholic overnight. It takes, it takes a lot of practice. But I did eventually pass that point in no return. Um, to keep a long, long story very short, by the time I was 25, my life had just spiralled out of control and I was homeless because I chose to be there where I could feed my addiction in peace away from the persistent complaining of my mum and dad who were just worried sick. But it was getting in the way of my drinking, which was my full-time job at that time, you know what I mean? 24-7, you don't get paid, but it costs you absolutely everything, man. And I chose to be homeless and got a room in a, in a hostel uh, from the council. But very quickly, um, because of my behaviour, I was uh, sleeping rough and, and in, on and off the streets or sofa surfing for the better part of a year before I ended up in the Bethany Christian Centre. You mentioned at 15 you were attacked and nearly lost your life. What what happened? That was a heavy one. Uh, just at a party with friends. Uh, grew up in a small town outside Edinburgh called Musselburgh. Uh, just a community of friends. I, I, I drank a lot and I think I went to the, the loo and um, accidentally broke something. And... Uh, the person whose house it was didn't take too kindly to it and was quite um, inebriated themselves and, and uh, they took a a baseball bat to me and, and, and nearly killed me and that I was just terrified, absolutely terrified and I was told that if I told anybody, you know, that it would, there'd be repercussions so I just, um, what, I was already quite an insecure, anxious kid, I was just terrified of everything and when I, if it wasn't alcohol that I was using to shield the way that I uh, was coping, it was my behaviour. So I became very dishonest about the way that I felt. I would I would lie <laughs> like it was second nature about my circumstances to try and get acceptance from my peers and stuff. And all that was doing was just creating a bigger boundary between me and my peers because they thought I was just full of nonsense, you know. But again, nobody really knew what was going on because I, I wasn't able to get honest about my struggles and the pain that I was in. Mm -hmm. There's often different reasons, aren't there, for, for why someone reaches that, I think you call it the point of no return, where it goes from, yes, 
I'm enjoying a drink or yes, I'm a heavy drinker to actually know this, this is kind of full blown dependency alcoholism. Are you able to pinpoint kind of the reason or reasons why that tipping point took place? It's complicated. And as you said, I, I think everybody has a different, a different journey. You know, I, I, I don't really know when that point of no return happened. I just know that it came from a place of emotional brokenness. Uh, I, I went through some trauma therapy uh, a few years ago. Uh, I was diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, and I mean, I just thought I was mad my whole life. You know what I mean? I, I must have diagnosed myself with every mental health disorder I could think of and even probably invented a few. But the the it turns out there are other people that suffer from this. And the biggest symptom is avoidance, you know. So avoidance uh, and alcohol is probably the, the best emotional painkiller in the world it works but for an alcoholic when it stops working and you can't stop drinking that is a firm indicator that you're an alcoholic but and that was that was me i just once i started i couldn't stop and when i did stop i couldn't stay stopped and those are the two fundamental uh, qualifiers to um uh, mm. you know being an alcoholic yeah group. i think i'm right in saying a lot of recovery programs suggest that the first step is acknowledging I am an alcoholic. Do you remember where that point came in the journey for you of, of understanding this is actually a problem and I'm, I'm sort of choosing, I suppose, to begin to try and deal with it? It's a difficult journey, the sort of progression uh, over 10 years. And even beyond that, I've had, a, I've had a few pennies drop in my recovery and my sobriety as well. You know, it's always a, a learning thing and being a work in progress. But there was indicators in my early 20s when, when things just always kept going wrong and my life was unmanageable you, you talk about the first step in the 12-step program which is um i was powerless to my addiction and I, and I was i think ignorant to it as well but also quite comfortable in my uh in my unmanageability because you know the the thought of getting sober and being free and living a different life was utterly terrifying because i didn't know anything else you know what i mean when I remember talking to somebody about getting sober and just thinking, how the heck am I going to meet a girl if I'm not going to the pub? You know, uh, with this complete delusion that yeah. women only go to the bar. <laughs> you know what I mean? You can't, find, <laughs> you can't find them anywhere else, man, you know. But it, that that whole unmanageability part, you know, uh, from the age of 15, uh, round about when my parents split up. Um, but also before that, you know, with with um just trying to seek friends and I wasn't great at making friends and stuff like that so in, in some ways my life was was always quite unmanageable and there's arguments to whether you're always you've always been an addict even before you you picked up a drink or, or or a drug but everybody's different everybody has different views on the different models of addiction but for all I know is that the thing that keeps me clean and sober is a 12-step program mm. and um my faith and and yeah. and, and submitting uh, everything to god uh, to the best of my ability and being yeah. accountable to both god and my peers i'd love to pick up the story again of you were homeless and bethany christian trust was was a massive turning point for you because this was a homeless shelter that you went to and this this was where you found faith wasn't it so just uh, tell us tell us what happened there well i was in the bethany center who were one wonderfully kind and gave me a bed. I uh, moved in there on the 13th of February 2006. They offered a recovery program which was similar to a 12-step program um, called Foundations for Freedom, but it was very Christ-centered and, uh, uh, you know, it drew its recovery from Scripture. And uh, it still does to this day. I'm very good friends with the, with the charity. Um, 
as well as a program which you know I, I didn't have a lot of interest and in. i wanted to get sober and stay sober obviously but the face side of it wasn't on my high on my priority list but there was a there was a bed there i was getting free food and i was warm and that for me was very high on my priority list they would take you to activities like playing football or out for dinner or day trips and they would occasionally invite you to um christian meetings and stuff like that you know because that's what christians do <laughs> christian meetings man always biscuits it's wonderful but always were... biscuits tea and biscuits at the end <laughs> absolutely but there, there was a free five course dinner at this evening of music and testimony that we were invited to and i'd never had five courses before so i wanted to see what the other two courses were you know <laughs> yeah what them. are they you know what? I can't remember. I just remember <laughs> being slightly disappointed that the last course was a cup of coffee. But, um, oh, that doesn't count, surely. I don't know, but it's talk about. <laughs> I must have been quite ungrateful, but <laughs> but it was. Uh, I remember it being very lovely and very hospitable. But in the middle of it, um, a man got up and gave his testimony. A wonderful man called Cami McKenzie, and he shared his testimony and. It was quite unexpected because I, I, I thought he, he's a church minister and I thought he was going to tell me about um, how holy he was and how unholy I was and I wouldn't be holy unless I had he what, what he had, etc. So he kind of stood up and I rolled my eyes, but he spoke about his life and it was he's, he's got some story, you know, he was he, he grew up in a gang culture and they went to prison. Uh, he, he was he's a, a, rec a recovered addict and, and it was it was just incredible. I felt like every single word that he spoke was was meant for me that night. And he spoke about how Christ gave him the strength to break the chains that had been killing him and the power to walk away from that life reborn and, and with a sense of purpose and hope. And I just I just knew that I wanted it, but I was wrestling with myself because I'm like, if you if you if you stand up and go forward, you're gonna look like an idiot. But, <laughs> but I did it because I just I knew that this is what I needed. And when I turned around all the other guys from the hostel were following me, you know. So wow. it was like the, we we all responded to the altar call, and we went forward, and we prayed, and we thanked Christ for coming and living and dying and and redeeming us, and and um, and rising again. And 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 but I remember also praying my own prayer, which was, you know, God, if you can hear me, if you can hear me, I am so sorry for wasting everything, and I'm so sorry for the things that I've done. I just want a life that's worth something. And if that means following you, then I'm in it. I'm in. And I felt something move inside me for the first time because I'm I'm so emotionally numb at times. And, and I know that was the Holy Spirit melting my heart. And I, I broke down, which is very un-Scottish. You know, I, 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 I cried, but I, I essentially went from a man who thought he was the center of the universe, which is the nature of addiction, to suddenly looking out at something I didn't understand, but I knew I wasn't alone. Fundamentally, I wasn't alone, and that was the start of my journey with Jesus. That sounds like a a pretty radical transformation, you know, in that moment, in that altar call, um, which is superb to hear. And yet, at the same time, as as you've already said in this interview, a lot of this stuff just doesn't happen overnight, and a lot of it is a journey. And you, you said even even a few months or a couple of years ago, sort of other turning points happened. So just just walk me through a little bit of what happened after that moment, because while it sounds like you had a wonderful encounter with God, and that was the moment of of the beginning of the transformation, of course, it didn't end there. So so what what sort of things had to kind of fall into place after that moment of that initial prayer of commitment? Well, I went back to the hostel that night, you know, and it wasn't like yeah, I'm a Christian. Here's a Ferrari, you know. <laughs> you, you, you know what I mean? I, I I had one change of clothes and I was living in a homeless hostel. I don't think I even had a bank account at the time. But I went home that night with gratitude 
like gratitude for having very little and I, I was very, very hopeful and these things are monumental if you've been living for years with none of that, you know. And there was, I had a, such a sense of peace in my life as well uh, for the first time, you know, if you've grown up anxious or just been anxious your whole life to suddenly have a bit of peace, it's, it's like somebody just putting mute on the, on the radio or the telly or something when you're trying to hear yourself think, it's incredible. And I just started noticing the world outside me, and and I was I was really excited. I was that sort of young Christian, on fire for life. You know what I mean? You know, I I finished my my recovery course in Bethany. Started going to church, made some friends, attended Bible um, uh, nights and stuff like that. I met who is now my wife at the church. We event I got baptized. Eventually, got married. I remember getting baptized, and my whole family, which is enormous, came to the church. And the, the church was just rammed. It was just amazing. Um, I started writing music when I was in the, the homeless hostel, songs about being homeless and being an addict and stuck it on MySpace. And, uh, you know, that was uh, quite a thing. And I just, um, I got quite a bit of a, a response from people because I, I spoke about some really tough stuff, but people seemed to engage with that. I was a full-time dad to my stepson. I gained a son when I got married and eventually we had a couple of our own kids. And, by that time, I'd been invited to write about my faith and songs, sing songs about my faith, and got the opportunity to record an album. And when I released that album, I did a, an event one night at a local church, and uh, the minister said, this is what you're meant to do with the rest of your life. It's to share the gospel through your music and testimony. And I'd been praying every day, asking God, what's my purpose, you know? And uh, that's when I started full-time as a musician and a singer-songwriter and not worship not a worship leader at that point but certainly um singing folk songs about um, my faith and about uh, the journey that i'd been on so that 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 was about 2010 and i continued doing that up until about 2014 i'd love to talk a bit more about uh, your involvement in christian music and in worship music just just before we get there one of the things you've been described as uh, by others is a mental health advocate so i'd love to talk just delve into that a little bit more. What exactly do, does that mean and how exactly does that play into, I guess, your, your calling at the moment? I think mental health is certainly something that we all need to be talking about with others and with ourselves, which sounds a little interesting, but we all live with mental health. You know, sometimes it can be very healthy and sometimes it can be quite unhealthy depending on, on where we're at, you know. Uh, I was completely unaware of my mental health uh, to a large extent until I got some help a few years ago, uh, especially with the PTSD diagnosis and um, went and did some cognitive behavioral therapy and also some trauma therapy. And, and that really helped me to understand why I reacted some some of the ways that I did and also some of the environment I grew up in. And it, I was also able to finally figure out how I was feeling because I didn't understand my emotions and my thoughts for a long time. And through that process, I actually wrote some new songs about loneliness and depression and anxiety and all these things and, and did a crowdfunder and released an album. And, you know, the music, which was the main part, wasn't actually the most important part. The most important part was to get people talking about how they were doing, you know, to start a conversation that was about being emotionally transparent, which is quite countercultural. In Scotland, especially for men, 
very often the only place that you're given permission to get emotional is at a football match, you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's um to get people talking about how they were doing, like my my friend says, you know, if you walk into the pub and say, All right, lads, I'm feeling a bit vulnerable tonight, you're 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 given the choice of a slap or a pint, you know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. to get people talking about their their feelings and their emotions uh, I really think that's important because yeah. vulnerability invites vulnerability and to realize that we're not alone in this it can really open the door to healing and for me personally it opened up my relationship with Jesus in ways I never thought possible because I was able to come to Christ without feeling I had to prove anything you know what I mean because he knows it all already you know and I, and, yeah. and I, and I feel that if people can be that open and transparent about where they're at it can really enrich their their faith and their lives. Yeah, I love what you say about it enriching our faith as well. Because it's not that God only cares about our spiritual life; He cares about our physical well being and our mental well being as well. And yet, as you, as you say, I think particularly for men, we just live in a culture, don't we, of this stuff not really being spoken about too much. I think things are changing, and we've seen, haven't we, campaigns even from the royal family beginning to talk more about mental health. But but you're right, particularly amongst men. It's it's not an easy subject to to bring up with 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 other guys, is it? Not really. It's not it's not the the the, the talking point, the main talking point of of a conversation. Uh, I'm usually met with comments like, "Oh, you're so honest," and but the, the the truth is, I need to be that honest in order to stay well, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it's, I think it's very important for me, my recovery, and also for the people in my family because um, it's not just for me it's for the people that i'm that i really care about as well so it keeps me well but you know people talking about mental health i think it's absolutely wonderful that uh, people like the royal family are talking about mental health and the campaigns that they're doing and the celebrities that are talking about their own vulnerabilities and the struggles that they're going through because very often tv and uh, being a celebrity can can create quite a, a distance you know but at the end of the day these people are people uh, and they're beautiful and they're God's creation as well and they're going to have these struggles and there's nothing wrong with feeling bad you know what I mean it is completely normal our, our emotions are usually there to tell us that something's going on you know I mean fear stops you getting hit by a bus if you're crossing the road at the wrong time and it tells you you need to get out of the way or you're going to get hurt mate <laughs> you know what I mean yeah. so it's necessary sometimes you know yeah. and it's just that acceptance of understanding that you're okay Yes, and um, but talking to people about it and being open and honest about it uh, can certainly help mm. you understand that you're not losing your mind. You know? Yeah, we can help each other out of the rising tide by carrying each other, which is just such a beautiful thing. You know what I mean? Do you want to stay informed on the best of what's happening in the UK church today? Premier Christianity Magazine is for you. The UK's leading Christian magazine is published every month and features interviews with Christian leaders, in-depth reporting, reviews, columnists, and loads more. And best of all, you can try it for free. Head to our website now to request the latest edition worth £5.95, completely free of charge. Visit premierchristianity.com forward slash free sample. Tell me a little bit about the music you're making now. Um, You're making worship music. You've got this new single out called No Other Gods. Um, how did you arrive at a place where you're you're not just making you're not making uh, sort of mainstream folk music you're not making kind of Christian music you're actually making worship music now um, has there been a bit of a, a progression for that um, in sort of finding your distinct calling? Yeah, it, it's been really interesting, man. You know, life has always got surprises around the corner. And after I released my my mental health album Gold, uh, I, I I 
had a conversation with Steve Harding, who's the uh, A&R guy at Integrity, and um, his uh, father-in-law is a good friend of mine, and we, we just had a chat, and he, he said, I love your, your album. I'd love to work with you sometime if if, if, if uh, we'd love to work with you. And, you know, at the time I was like, well, I don't know what I'd have to offer, man, if I'm being honest, because I've not done a lot of worship music, you know. But then we got to know each other, and, 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 and I... I realized very, very quickly that Integrity, although it comes under the banner of a record label slash publisher, it's a family, you know, and it's a ministry. And and when we had the first writing camp, I was just overwhelmed with that sense of community as well, you know, which was just right up my street because that's that's what I'm into when in, in terms of the recovery community and the charity stuff that I do in the prison ministry and stuff. And they were able to uh, organise rights, and and uh, and I realised, man, this is such an honour and a privilege to be able to worship freely, but also get together with people who also have a heart to worship God, and then write, and then explore the scriptures, and and also from my background, write about struggles and pain and stuff like that and see if i can incorporate that into the worship music and and getting on to my single you know i really kind of explored well if i'm going to write worship music what do i want to write about obviously i i want to love and honor god but what are the needs of my community you know and i asked her asked our youth pastor and he said it's things like broken homes it's mental health that struggles with identity and i'm like that's my story you know so I went on this journey and Integrity put me in the room with some great folk and we started writing these songs. No Other God came out of um, a, a write when I was in Nashville at the end of 2019 and the guy I was writing with, Michael Farron, who's a wonderful writer, his wife uh, has some Scottish ancestry and they went exploring it and it, it, it turns out that she's got some some serious connection to a very old noble Scottish family. And uh, compared to her her background and where she grew up, it's a complete contrast. And uh, the the other inspiration for it was Isaiah uh, sixty one ten, which is you know the 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 Lord is he has um, clothed us in salvation and um, adorned us with a robe of righteousness. I'm, I'm paraphrasing here because I can't remember it verbatim, but. Uh, and and her story was talking about that and we kind of weaved the two together because despite our doubts and our fears and our feelings of self-worth and the identity that we give ourselves in this life and in the world that we're in Christ has a very different identity for us and he comes and he and he puts that upon us and he loves us for who we are in our brokenness you know and that's that's how we came about with the song fantastic well let's uh, play a little clip of it this is no other god by Steph McLeod no other God can judge The weight of sin that dwells in us And yet amid His grace His blood declares my guilt erased What is this love, this ancient hope? You come to me with righteous robes, clothing me in your salvation. 
that was Steph McLeod's new single, No Other God. Steph, it's difficult for me to do any interviews these days without mentioning the dreaded word COVID, COVID-19, um, which has completely changed all of our lives. How has it affected you? Uh, it's been a tough year. It's been, well, yeah, 2020 was, for for me personally, was not pleasant. Uh, it, the whole situation melted my brain, uh, you know, figuratively speaking. I, I went from having this routine, uh, recovery routine and health routine, and I thrive on routine, to suddenly being, feeling very isolated and isolation is not good for my recovery at all i i am so grateful that i am still well and sober uh, and for the people that i have in my life that have helped me to get that but you know last year there were times when i was feeling very depressed and i went to see the doctor twice for having suicidal thoughts um you know which is there's nothing wrong with having these thoughts you know it's it's not acting on it that, that can put you in danger you know so i i went to see i, I sought help and reached out and uh, the people in the NHS that I saw were just incredible, absolutely brilliant. There, there is help out there. And I, I I just introduced a few more things into my life the best way that I could. So I started eating more healthy. I started connecting people a bit more. And uh, I started working out a bit more, running with my dog and stuff. My wife works for the NHS, so she's a key worker. So she's been hard at it. And uh, I was homeschooling the kids, you know, and uh, which was which is wonderful. It's been a real change being at home so much. I can't remember the last time I was at home so much. But essentially, we're, we've been unemployed. Well, I've been unemployed, but we've been very grateful for my, my wife's income. Um, and just learning to serve in different ways, which is via Zoom or or, or uh, um, we've been doing collaboration videos with um, and streaming stuff with a ministry that I'm involved in called Celtic Worship, uh, which is been bringing a lot of joy to, to people and, and really helping them. So we made some of our videos available as a church resource uh, for people that's still available. Just get in touch with Celtic Worship via the website. And if you, you need those um, videos and music for your, your church streams, please just get in touch with us. Um, and I've been doing the same. I've uh, been learning to adapt and, and I've uh, just been fitting this little studio together. And uh, it's actually a, a closet in our house so I've, I've made it into a little a little musical sanctuary where i, I read my bible and uh, uh, write songs and do song rights over over zoom but it's taken a good bit of time to kind of figure that out mm. steve at integrity has been amazing and we've, we've managed through 2020 to put this uh this ep together and no other god is the first track from that so we did get movement but for me adjusting has been tough yeah. um, but yeah. i am grateful I mean, I imagine before COVID struck, I imagine you were um, visiting churches or, or other music venues and, and playing live. Now, all of that must have more or less dried up for you. Has that been quite difficult to not be out there as a musician playing live to people? Yes and no. <laughs> yes, yes. So, so like playing live is the easy part, man. It really is. But the, the traveling and being away from home and the admin stuff which i'm just not built for uh was it was really tough and i was getting a bit of help in that just before lockdown i'd actually had my visa for touring in the states approved the week the first lockdown happened and i've not even been able to get to belfast to get my my passport stamped back at the embassy because uh you know because of covid and stuff which is totally fine it's just the way um the way it goes but the, the plans that I had in terms of uh, the next few years and, and and just completely changed. And there's just there's just no live music at all at the moment, you know. We're very, very lucky that my wife is working for the NHS, which is a secure income at the moment. 
but I know loads of people that just haven't been able to um what well, the, 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 their lives are just very very different you know what I mean I, I can't speak for where they're at but the um there there's no live music I'm a real people person I like to, to to go and worship and 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 do live music but it's also the conversations at the end which I absolutely love and talking to people about their faith and getting them asking questions about their walk with Jesus because that's that is that that is the greatest privilege as a worship leader because you know I I think it's um, Bob Coughlin writes in his book um, True Worshippers in fact it might not be Bob Coughlin it might be my friend that in Texas that said this but ninety percent of worship leading is uh, is what happens outside of the the music part you know what I mean it's it's about discipleship and it's about asking people where they're at and it's about enriching helping them to enrich their relationship with Jesus mm-hmm. and I really miss that man I really miss that so I'm looking forward to getting back into the fellowship and just just fellowshipping with my brothers and sisters and spending time with Jesus how do you think all this should play out online with a lot of churches now live streaming their Sundays what a lot of churches are doing is that they're still getting the worship leader or the worship band into the building and they're they're kind of playing like they would do on a quote-unquote normal Sunday and then people at home are encouraged to, to join in so to sing along with the television and you can still raise your hands and is that the best way of going that we try and just sort of film what we would have normally done and, and people watch on a live stream? Or, or do you think this is an opportunity to actually completely reinvent and reimagine our understanding of sung worship and how we do that? That's a really interesting question. And I think there's a few different answers that we could explore there. I, I think the churches and uh, worship leaders and that have done an incredible job at engaging with people because, you know, the news, which is very informative, it's very depressing, man. You know, and I've spoken to a number of my friends and, and who 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 are really struggling. I'm speaking to myself when I'm saying this. I'm just like turn off the news for a week, man. Yeah. Just turn it off. If something big's going down, your neighbour will tell you, or you know, somebody will give you a phone. But uh, unless there's just not a lot to keep you nice and cheerful watching the news, you know. And so, like the worship leaders and the churches and stuff like that have done an incredible job of engaging with people and with the wonders of technology i think it's been phenomenal and we're doing the best at what we can does that need to change well the way that we're looking at worship i think that is a that's something that's always happening people are always looking at exploring worship i know jeremy riddle's got a really interesting book out at the moment called the reset and uh, there's there's other people that have been looking at you know what this has given us time to really kind of sit and think about um, the worship demographic, which is quite varied as it is, you know, you've got the really sort of contemporary stuff on one side and you've got the very traditional stuff on the other side and then you've got this massive bit in the middle, you know. So I think people can look at these things, um, but it, essentially it's just about worshipping Jesus. I think it's that simple. And whether that's looking on the TV, which if that's all you can do because you're out working as a doctor all day or you're looking at watching kids all day, I think that's incredible that we, we have the, the ability to do that, you know. Um, these are deep questions that some worship leaders or every worship leader should maybe always be asking, you know, um, is my heart in the right place or am I am I being distracted by technology or learning this or am I putting too much time into that? I mean, these are the things that, I'm, that I struggle with. Uh, I, I could have spent time writing this song instead of learning about compression, you know, <laughs> <laughs> uh, in my studio. Or, or, or is this going to benefit what I'm doing it, or is this just yeah. for fun or, or whatever? But yeah. I think it's a complex question. I don't think there is a right answer, but there's nothing wrong with exploring these things if it's in a healthy way. It's, it's been amazing to see how music is traveling. I mean, music always has has traveled 
you know, using the technology available at the time, right? So mm. when I was growing up, it was cassettes and you'd pass your cassette around at school or whatever. Um, you know, CDs, we had the, the weird mini disc phase, which I think a few people bought into, but most people ignored. Uh, anyway, the point is that we're now in a position with technology and the internet that music is traveling faster and further than ever before in world history. And I was mindful of that as I was looking at some of the, the worship uh, music videos you've put out and your friends at, at Celtic Worship as well. Um, getting thousands of views um, from all over the world. And you read through the YouTube comments of people in very far-flung places who are, who are blessed by the, the music you're putting out. It's just overwhelming, absolutely overwhelming. We, uh, my friend, Mary, who's the fiddle player in Celtic Worship, wanted to put on a, a, a church service for the Celtic Connection Festival in Glasgow where visitors could come to the church and there would be Celtic music infused with, uh, with, with traditional hymns. And we just got together and uh, through invitation, we did that. We never expected uh, it to grow into what it is. We we recorded an album because people were asking for it, so it's grown really organically. Um, and then we had a Zoom meeting. Everybody's doing Zoom meetings, but we had a Zoom meeting, and it was like, what can we do to feed into the church? And we thought, well, we could do some socially distanced live streaming. Uh, so we all did our own one from home. And and, and as uh, the, the first lockdown eased off, we got together and had a, a socially distanced worship night just with us and the, 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 the tech crew. And the stories of, of people being coming in just saying, you know, like, you know, this, you have no idea how much we needed this. And but also connecting to some of their family roots, like in America and stuff like that is it's just been amazing. So that again, this sense of community and fellowship, which is really kind of what what the church is all about, man. You know, it's just such a it's such a blessing to both us and and thank you know to other people as well. So it's just a privilege, an absolute honor, and a privilege to be a part of something that's that that seem, seems to be making uh, a positive difference and and uh, with 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 other people's lives with Christ at the center. In the next issue of Premier Christianity magazine, we've got Matt Redman uh, writing for us, well-known worship leader. And um, he writes in, in the new issue, it's, it's coming out this, this coming week, about really the, the main thing he's focusing on in his in his songwriting, the main thing he feels challenged about in, in writing songs. And that is that, um, in his words, he, he says, we've got a lot of a lot of worship songs that can be a bit too me-centered, me-focused. And we need more songs about the holiness of God. And Matt says in the piece that it's very easy to sing about attributes of God that are beneficial for us. So God is healer or God is our strong tower. Um, God is our father. These are very obvious ways in which God being those things benefits us. But but Matt says it's we need more songs actually about the attributes of God that may not have any helpful benefit to me, but are still integral to who God is. You know, God's majesty, God's holiness, God's glory. We need more songs like that, um, which is I thought was really interesting thing for for matt to say who you know has written a lot of songs that he now feels challenged on this on this point to, to write more songs on the holiness of god and i just wanted to get your take on that no yeah of course why wouldn't you you know i mean i, I think it is uh if you're going to sing worship and sing to god about how awesome he is then i think that's wonderful but do you but do you think that that sometimes worship leaders have been guilty of writing a lot of songs with the word i in or me in um do you think that's a fair criticism I, I think there's certainly songs that exist that are like that, but I, I you know, I'm, there are songs that aren't, you know, traditionally considered congregational music that can be said can, can considered a song of worship as well. You know, so if you're singing a song, I mean, this is this is this is a broad argument, you know, and and don't get me wrong, I absolutely love Matt Redman's songs. I mean, it was some of the first songs I heard going into the church that 
that mean so much to me. And it's interesting that he's on that journey and I'd be really excited to see what comes out of it, you know. For me, I think songs, you can you can write and sing a song about the, the glorious attributes of God. You can also write a song about where you're at. I mean, if you look at the Psalms, you know, the, I mean, there, a lot of that is very much based in, God, this is where I'm at. Where are you? There you are, or or you know, like you know, this is what you've done in my life, and there's a, I mean, there's just a whole broad spectrum of stuff which could be considered um, parts of a song that, you, that 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 can be considered worship. Um, for me personally, I think it's a, a song is where you're at at that time, and if you want to talk about what God's doing in your life, I don't think that's a problem. If you feel like you you want to write a song that's specifically about the the attributes to God and and the Holy Spirit is leading you into that, then yeah, that's great. As a in terms of where the, the the worship community is right now, there are a lot of songs that, that are very me I centered. And, and but you know when I, when I when I go and speak to somebody and talk tell them about God, I can talk talk to them about who God is. I love doing that. You know, I tell them about Jesus, but I also tell them about what He's done in my life, uh, which which I think is equally important because people can relate to personal experience as well. So you know, for me personally and. This could probably be argued across the board. I think it's a mixture of the two, and it's just yes. about finding that balance. Yeah, if you can, if there's a way of doing both in the same song, perhaps is interesting. Interesting question. Are there any themes that are particularly on your heart when it comes to songwriting for the year ahead? I mean, Matt sort of laid out where he's at with wanting to focus on the holiness of God. Are there, are there other aspects of of worship that you feel like you want to be writing in that kind of a direction this year? I'm looking at the Psalms quite deeply at the moment. Uh, I think there's coming out of the COVID situation um, is is going to be difficult to process for for us. Um, we, we lost a few family members in the last year for, through, in different circumstances, and uh, I wasn't able to get to my grandmother's funeral um, at, at the beginning of December uh, just for safety reasons. But we're going to have a memorial next year. Um, my wife tragically lost her sister, which wasn't COVID related, but it was um, just really tragic. Um, so it's it's been a tough year, I'm sure, for everybody for different reasons. And uh, I've been looking at the Sams and relating to a lot of the, 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 the struggles and the emotional struggles with these things. And, and I've got lament on my heart. And, and I think there's, for me personally, I'm going to be looking at writing into that stuff, but also coming out of that process as well. So I think songwriting is a process and a journey. So it'll be interesting to see where the Holy Spirit guides me going down that road and I'm hopefully going to be connecting to some of my my friends who I admire and respect and we can write some stuff that you know might be able to benefit uh, and feed into the church as well. It's January and of course in January a lot of people sort of look at how they can I guess better themselves, new Bible reading plans that Christians want to engage with um, but also a lot of people will say well after Christmas I need to lose a bit of weight. Now I noticed that you most certainly have had an amazing journey of weight loss. I was looking back at some some photos and videos of you from a few years ago. You're a changed man. You're a different man. So do you have any any top secrets uh, or tips to share with us on that front? It's not complicated. I've uh, just eaten a little healthier and worked out a little bit more and drank a little bit more water and uh, slept. Made sure I get my eight hours in and that's it. Thrive on routine. Uh, getting out the starting blocks is hard for exercise. Um, it is it is difficult, but if if you give yourself at least three months, 
give yourself at least three months and uh, you, you should see yourself a different. My, my, um, my journey was a bit complicated. My, my metabolism was pretty much shocked because of the medication I was on for a very long time. And when I came off that, uh, it, it took about three months of exercise, but also I was in a lot of pain as well because of my weight, my knees. So um, I, I wasn't able to take certain medications. So, uh, you know, when you're, when you're in enough pain, you'll do something about it. And exercise and losing weight certainly helped my knees. But it's just about eating nutritious food. Uh, cut, I, I cut sugar out of my diet. I watched how many carbs I was eating. I mean, you do need carbs, otherwise you go mad. Uh, well, I do anyway. I, I just get very grumpy. And um, it's just, yeah, healthy diet, healthy routine, and uh, not being too hard on yourself when you when you have a treat. It's not easy, is it? It takes it takes grit and willpower and determination. Yeah, I mean, I hate exercise. I'm not gonna. I'm, you know, I I am I, I am a bear man. You know, I'm I'm, I'm built for hibernation. But uh, in terms of mental health, I love the way it makes me feel. In terms of like, so I'll come out of a workshop. I'm, I'll go and do a five k run, which I never thought I'd ever be able to do. And I'll come back. My wife's like, my wife's like, you're very chilled out, and it's because of the endorphins and natural endorphins. Um, so exercise makes me feel very grounded and very calm. And when I'm tired, it's because I've earned it, you know. Uh, uh, so, yeah, I, I, I love the way exercise makes me feel, but it is a grind, man. It is a grind, but I do get into it. There you go. Some top tips there. Well, Steph, it's been a real pleasure to chat. We've covered all sorts of um, deep uh, but really important topics as well. Um, I'm aware, particularly in talking about um, your battle with with addiction, um, what would what would be your message to someone who might be listening to this, who resonates perhaps with certain parts of your story, whether it be mental health or, or addiction or even homelessness? Anyone who's who's feeling like they need a bit of help. It, it, are there places that that you would particularly want to signpost people to, um, to say actually that you know please, you know, take, take the opportunity to ask for help and help is available. I mean, you mentioned a couple in passing, um, Beth, Bethany Trust, the, even the NHS. Um, but what would be your message to someone who, if they're honest, they say, yeah, Steph, be nice. great to hear your story, but I'm, I'm struggling like you were with some of these things. Um, what would be your, your advice to them? Well, you're not alone, is the first thing I want to say. You're definitely not alone. Uh, there is help out there. Very often it's not signposted. My first bit of advice would be to go and see your doctor and just be honest about what you're struggling with. You know, you might not get any, you might not get what you need, but they should be able to point you in the right direction or something. Google's your friend. Also, uh, in terms of mental health, uh, the NHS is also a great place to, to call, but there are also support groups. Uh, speak to your pastor as well. Um, and, and remember that if they don't understand what you're like, if, if, if they can't help directly, they, they will be able to point you or, or they might be able to point you in the per, in, in yeah. direction of somebody. And if you're really struggling, uh, you can drop me a message on my Facebook page and I can point you in the direction of a few places uh, because I, I'm more than happy to do that. But th th there is lots of help out there. So please do, just do get in touch and realize that you're not alone. And you might think that you can't get through this on your own. You know what? I thought the exact same thing, but I was able to get through it with the help of somebody else. Well, Steph, thank you so much for sharing. It's been an absolute pleasure to chat. Thank you very much.